are looking live at chicken dinner. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. I think I'll take two chickens. Go on riverboat gambling trips. You're going to die for some chickens. Hey, what's your chicken dinner? Someone is. There was feathers yesterday. There was no chicken. What you got riding on this game? My daughter. What a gambler. It's chicken dinner. Hey, Babalugas, we got a bet here. Here's your host, Sam Panianovich. It's called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner right there, boys. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. How about that? Away we go. Chicken Dinner, Friday, January 7th, 2022. Follow on Twitter at ChickenXDinner. DMs always open to talk with you and subscribe. Smash the button so you get this podcast once it drops. We will talk to Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, about the wild fluctuations in NFL award markets. What does the math tell you about who could be a good bet? Why do totals give Eric a bigger edge most Sundays? Plus, the Doc's favorite Super Bowl future to make right now. All that coming up later on with Eric Eager. There are five players left in the Circa Sports Survivor Contest. That's the $1,000 entry to win $6 million. Five players left for the winner-take-all grand prize, $6 million smacks. Holy cow. And in no way, shape, or form is this going to be easy because none of the heavy hitters are available. Nobody can take Green Bay. The Rams are out of it. Nobody can take Dallas. Not that you would. I guess. Well, I guess you could take Dallas at this point. There is a lot of COVID, which we'll get to. Nobody can take Buffalo. Nobody can take the Patriots. Those teams are already used up. Indianapolis, all used up. One of the entries can take Tampa Bay. Minus eight against Carolina. Probably a good bet. If I had Tampa Bay, I would take Tampa Bay. One entry can take Arizona. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite against Seattle. Two teams have the option for Kansas City. Minus 10. Now, they only have to win outright. I'm just giving you the spreads. KC at Denver. Win the game outright. Two entries have Tennessee. They're a 10-point favorite at Houston. All five entries have Washington at the New York Giants. Football team minus seven. I would imagine if I had Tampa in the kitty, I would take Tampa. If I had Tampa in Kansas City, I'd probably still take Tampa. Tampa's at home. Tampa's going to beat Carolina. Whether it's Sam Darnold or Cam Newton or whoever, it doesn't matter. Denver's also not great with Drew Locke. You can't go wrong. If you have Tampa Bay and Kansas City, you did something right. But which team would you trust for six million smacks? One of the entries, Circa put out the matrix, like the list of all the teams left and who the teams can take. One entry can only take the following, and it's a very, very shitty list. Atlanta, Carolina, Cincinnati, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, Las Vegas, New Orleans, New York Giants, New York Jets, Pittsburgh, Seattle, Washington. All of those teams are underdogs, but two, New Orleans and Washington. Got to take Washington, right? New Orleans, I believe, is a four-point favorite. Three and a half at most books now at Atlanta. Washington minus seven at the Giants. That person's got to go one of those two, New Orleans or Washington. For $6 million, uh, yeah, I'll take Washington. You don't really have a choice. You're not going to take some of those other teams. 
Seattle, maybe. No, you're not taking Seattle. They're a six-and-a-half-point dog. Detroit against Green Bay. I have a feeling that entry is going to go Washington. But never think it's easy in Survivor. There's a reason that only five players are left. Six million dollar grand prize. They should all honestly get on the phone with each other and they should all do a handshake agreement over the phone and say, hey, we'll all take Washington. If they all win, split. They all lose, split. Divide it up. Six million divided by five. You do the math. That's what I would lobby for. But the person with Tampa Bay is going to be like, nah, fuck that. Who will survive? We will find out this weekend. We did make a bet around lunchtime on Thursday. Eagles plus six and a half. And that market has come down a little bit. This is the Saturday night game, Dallas at Philadelphia. So around 1130, I got a call from somebody that's close to the Cowboys that said, "Uh uh-oh, there's a big outbreak coming. You already know that there are a couple players that aren't going to be able to suit up for Dallas. Michael Parsons out with covid Teron Smith out with COVID. He's their left tackle. And, of course, Parsons, the best defensive player on that team, and he's a rookie. More names will come out, I'm told. And I heard as many as 10 players will not be able to go for the Dallas Cowboys. Many of them starters. And who knows how much worse it could get. Because COVID, it does spread inside those locker rooms. Your positional rooms, who else did Micah Parsons come in contact with? Who else on that offensive line? What if Smith gave it to Zach Martin? I don't know that for sure, but I imagine it's only going to get worse and more names will be on that list. And Dallas doesn't really have much to play for. I mean, they are locked into a home game. Tampa Bay is going to win. The Rams are going to win, likely. Dallas Dallas is probably going to be the four no matter what which would set up for a rematch, potentially, of Dallas and Arizona in the 4-5. Point is, Dallas doesn't have much to play for. They're already in. They've got a home game, no matter what. So if they're down at half, they might just pull everybody to stay healthy. I knew, though, at that point, around 11.45 a.m. Eastern, that 6.5 was not going to be available for long. And here we are. You look at the board right now, 5 Five, four and a half, four and a half, four and a half, four and a half. It might go down to three and a half. I don't know that it gets to three because then it'll get blasted the other way. Sharp opposition will lay three with Dallas, which ironically enough opened up as a two and a half point favorite. And then it got to seven, seven and a half Tuesday, Wednesday. And now we're at mostly four and a half. But that is simply information that Dallas is likely in trouble. You don't know names. You never hope that anybody gets COVID, but it sounds like there's an outbreak coming, and it sounds pretty serious. And given the new protocol, it's five days. You're out. There are going to be some guys that aren't going to play for the Dallas Cowboys. So take from that what you must, plus six and a half. Going to roll with that. Eagles have been very good at running the football. They have sort of reinvented the wheel of that offense. They were pass, pass, pass all last season and early this season. They've been running the ball, controlling the line of scrimmage, slowing things down, making games ugly. I like the Eagles before this, technically. Like, I leaned to them at six and a half, seven. And obviously, you love your number now, six and a half, when the market's four and a half. But that's it. 
That's it. That's all I've got so far in Week 18. Other leans, still lean to Chicago. I like them more with Justin Fields out. Sounds like Andy Dalton's going to play a quarterback, although I would like Nick Foles more than Andy Dalton. Foles definitely a better player, has a higher ceiling at least at this point. Minnesota has nothing to play for, and I talked about this on the last show. Cleveland minus six. I don't – I'm not going to bet that, but that's really interesting because a lot of people come Sunday are going to go, wait a minute, Cincinnati's a playoff team. Cincinnati's the three seed in the AFC. Well, Joe Burrow's not playing. Joe Mixon isn't playing. Who knows how long Jamar Chase is out there for. And Cincinnati, if you look at the bracket, Cincinnati's the three, but Kansas City's the two. So – If you're Cincinnati, do you lose on purpose? Because that path is a lot easier to the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. If you're the four, you're likely going to play Tennessee in that second game. So the 4-5, which at this point is Buffalo-New England, if Buffalo wins, and they will against the Jets, Cincinnati could fall to the four, and then it's all of a sudden Cincinnati has to play New England and the winner likely faces Tennessee. So you avoid Kansas City until the AFC Championship, and who knows, maybe they slip up. I don't think Cincinnati wants to win this game. So don't look at the Bengals, a good team, catching six points against a team that doesn't care at all, that's already out of the playoff picture, and don't think that's free money. That's my point. I lean to Cleveland. Don't feel great about betting on Cleveland, though. I did lean San Francisco. That number's come down. Circa's got a four right now. Rams minus four. Some books four and a half, but this was six and a half, six. Shanahan's been very good against the LA Rams. So I'm I'm not going to play it at four and a half, four when I could have taken six. I missed that one. And this one, probably still okay. The under 40, New England, Miami. How are the Dolphins going to score? Two of stinks. And Belichick is going to just solve that guy. They scored three points against Tennessee. And Tennessee's defense is nowhere as good as New England's defense. Mac Jones on the road. He's not going to dominate a game. They are built with power run. Control the ball. Eat clock. Get out of there with a win. 17-13. Low total stink. I'd prefer this total to be 43. I'd bet a lot more money at it. But 40, there's not a lot of margin for error. Tua throws a pick six. Punt return for a touchdown. Likely going to screw you. Still don't think they get to 40, honestly. What's the final score? New England, Miami. How many scores do you compute realistically that go over 40? 24-20, I don't even see it. If anything, I feel like it's 24-13 New England. 23-10 23-10 New England. 21-16, something weird. New England's also lost six of its last eight games in South Beach. That'll be a very popular teaser leg. New England from six and a half down to a hook. Very popular. But the under would be what I would do. I just checked in with Kenny White, who sent me his updated power ratings And you'll have to excuse the conversation that Eric Eager and I are going to have in about 10 minutes or so. Those were Kenny's ratings before Week 17's games. So these are the up-to-date ratings that I'm going to give you right now. 
So just want to make that clear that the ones we're going to talk about later are outdated. Taped with Eric a couple days ago. Here are the updated ratings from Kenny White, who has made numbers for four decades. He's one of the best in the business, and sportsbooks use his numbers to make their numbers. Very respected cat. Kenny has Kansas City on his top line, 110.5, 110.5. Green Bay, 109. So on a neutral field, Kenny would make Kansas City minus one and a half over Green Bay. You subtract the low number from the high number. That's your spread on a neutral. So KC, 110.5, Green Bay, 109. The LA Rams, 108. Tampa Bay, 108. Buffalo, 107.5. Dallas, 107.5. New England, 106. San Francisco, 106. Cincinnati, 104.5. The Chargers, 104. Indianapolis and Philly, 103.5. Tennessee, 103. And you have to imagine that Tennessee number is without Derrick Henry because these numbers get adjusted week to week. When Henry comes back, you have to kick them up. They've got to go to 104, 105. And Tennessee is marginally underrated. Nobody wants to bet them. Nobody wants to talk about them. Yet they're about to lock in the number one seed. But I feel like getting an idea of what a professional odds maker thinks of teams helps you understand. So KC and Buffalo on a neutral, Kansas City is a three-point favorite, 110.5 minus 107.5. If the game is in Arrowhead, you probably tack on two more points. Home field isn't worth three anymore, no way. And you can't make Kansas City minus six against Buffalo. That's probably four and a half. How about Green Bay-Dallas? Kenny says 109-107.5. That number on a neutral 1.5. So Green Bay at home against Dallas is 3.5. Kansas City, Cincinnati on a neutral, 6. That's his true number. Game is in Kansas City. He's going to make that thing 7.5 for 8. And I'll tell you what, the public would probably bet Cincinnati over a touchdown. Getting an understanding of how professionals use power ratings can help you. And then there's the over-adjustment or the under-adjustment by the books. Kenny's not booking bets. He's just making numbers. There's a difference, as you know, between an odds maker and a bookmaker. A bookmaker could look at a power rating of, you know, a difference between two teams at 9.5, and and he'll go, I can't make it 9.5. I won't write any bets on the favorite. So he'll make it 7.5. You know, some guys that make power ratings made Georgia-Michigan, Georgia 10.5. That market was seven and a half, eight on the close. And everybody bet Michigan. So imagine how many bets a sports book would write on Georgia at minus 10, 10 and a half. The bookmaker has to take the numbers and massage to the right number that's going to draw a good two-way. But the odds maker is sticking to the number. He's not shading off of perceived bets. It's not about perception. It's about the math. Speaking of the math, time for us to make another bet. Tennessee Titans to win the AFC, plus 500. It makes perfect sense for us. Given the bet we made in early November on Kansas City, plus 650 to win the AFC. In case you were wondering, best price on KC right now to win the AFC, plus 225. Give me that closing line value trophy right now. Put my name on it and send it my way. 
Here's the logic behind Tennessee, though. Tennessee is the number one seed in the conference at this very moment. And the Titans are a 10-point road favorite this Sunday at Houston. The highest money line price, Tennessee minus 550. So Tennessee has an 84% chance to lock in the first round buy, at which point 5-1 to one likely goes away right then and there. Assuming Tennessee beats Houston, they're the number one seed, and Kansas City gets either the two or the three. So Tennessee avoids Kansas City until the AFC Championship. If the Titans are the top seed, they get the bye, then they face the winner of the 4-5 in Nashville. Long story short, Tennessee wins one playoff game, and they are in the AFC Championship. 5-1 to one makes a lot of sense to win the AFC. And if we get Chiefs-Titans... We are free rolling the fuck out of that game at plus 500 and plus 650. Let's go. Alabama, Georgia, part two. Are you ready? Now, this number came out during the Orange Bowl when Georgia was curb stomping Michigan. Wise guys hit Georgia right away. Westgate Superbook in Vegas put up Georgia minus one, which is five and a half points lower than the closing number in the SEC championship. So the adjustment was made. I would argue there was an over-adjustment to go from Georgia minus 6.5 against Bama to Georgia minus 1. And guess what happened? The wise guys whacked it. They laid 1, 1.5, 2, all the way to 3. So the wise guys support came in early. It came in on Saturday and Sunday. Actually, no, that was New Year's Eve, so Friday. By Saturday morning... Georgia's already minus three at the respected shops. From that point, once the market started to settle at three and everybody else opened up, Bama's still getting more tickets at plus three. So more bets on Bama, more money on Georgia, even at three. But that's a very good number. I think three is going to hang. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Three is probably where it's going to close. That's my guess. If it goes to three and a half, Wise guys are going to jack it back down. They're going to take Bama plus three and a half. All those people that laid anything under three are going to try and middle it on the three. That's the way it works. If you lay Georgia one, you will take Bama plus three and a half. But those jumping into the pool right now at three, most of the bets are coming in on Alabama plus the three. As for the handicap, I like Georgia. I was very high on Georgia going into the first matchup. And I was mistaken by how easily Bryce Young was able to carve them up. He threw the ball at will. I still don't think that hurts Georgia going into this game because now everything's on film. They've seen Bryce Young. There's footage of Bryce Young. They know his tendencies now. And I'll tell you what, John Mechie's absence is a big loss for the Crimson Tide. He had six catches for 97 yards and a touchdown in the SEC title game. Blew his knee out in that game. It's easier to double-team Jamison Williams now. You can bracket him. You could double him. You could put a safety high. It's easier to guard Williams without Mechie. And Alabama was able to pound the rock against Cincinnati. They didn't throw the ball all that well. Go look at Young's numbers against Cincy. Not good. They beat Cincy because they ran for 300 yards, which they won't do against Georgia. The only way you beat Georgia is through the air, if you can do it. Michigan couldn't do it. Not at all. 
Bama still can try, but I, without Mechie, it's a lot different. And I really, really expect Georgia to make the necessary adjustments to make life difficult on Young. I'm free rolling it, though, so I'm not going to make a position. Georgia plus 145, Bama plus 250. Can't lose. I'm done. If you wanted me to bet it and said, here you go, Sam, here's a couple hundred bucks, bet it, I would lay three with Georgia still. This is very interesting. I got a direct message from a listener, Josh. I'm not going to use names um, as far as who his friend is, but it's a friend of a listener that is getting just screwed by Fandle. And I'll read through this quickly. Hey, Sam, got a question for you. My friend has a very common name, like John Smith. He was playing on FanDuel for a while, DFS stuff. He lives in Massachusetts where sports betting isn't legal, but the DFS is. He put in a lineup yesterday, submitted it, and moved on. This, by the way, is on December 23rd, this message. Today, they said he was on a Pennsylvania exclusion list, and his lineup was voided. Well, go figure. The lineup won $4,000. But FanDuel said, nope, you are on an exclusion list in Pennsylvania, so you do not get that money. I said, wait a minute, what? He said, yeah, he got this email from FanDuel support. Hi, so-and-so. Thank you for your patience. Our team has received notice that your name information appeared on the Pennsylvania exclusion list. As such, you are prohibited from operating a FanDuel account at this time. If you believe this is an error, you would need to contact the State Gaming Board. Please let us know if you have any further questions. Okay. So I said, look, you got to reach out to Philadelphia Gaming or Pennsylvania Gaming and say, here's my social security number. Here's my information. I want what's owed to me. I'm owed $4,000. So let's see. A couple days go by. On the 27th, I get another message from Josh. Just wanted to give you an update. The Penn Gaming Board agrees my friend shouldn't have been on the list. Now we're waiting on FanDuel to agree too. Once they say the error is real, we'll go for the $4,000. And the email was, hey, so-and-so, patrons personally have to sign up for self-exclusion and provide identification, so if you never requested, your name would not be on that list. Hmm. Your name does not appear on the involuntary exclusion list, which is available on the Pennsylvania Gaming Board website. My assumption would be some of your information, last name, date of birth, matched another person on one of the lists, or some sort of tech issue arose and FanDuel suspended the account. FanDuel would be able to tell you potentially why your name was mistaken. Uh Uh-oh, that sounds like trouble. Potentially is always a problem. I said, all right, let's go. Well, Josh reaches back out on Thursday morning and says FanDuel came back, confirmed it was a false positive, but they still won't pay him. On our end, quote, we call this a false positive. Once an exclusion is deemed a false positive, we manually remove the exclusion and prevent it from happening again by the automated process. If you ever chose to be excluded, the system will still update your account accurately, but the partial details from the user that caused the false positive will no longer be an issue. Blah, 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 blah. Where's the money? The guy writes back and says, okay, I didn't volunteer for this list. I'm not supposed to be on this list. Where's my money? 
FanDuel says, unfortunately, in these situations, our actions are governed by state regulations. Well, wait, the state said take it up with FanDuel. FanDuel says take it up with the state. Mm -hmm. Of course. All states with legal wagering compel platforms like ours to immediately exclude partial matches because it's against the law to allow someone on an exclusion list to be wagering. (laughs) What? While the situation is very frustrating, I completely understand all that. We must follow the law. This was not a punishment by any means. We followed state regulations required. And since those details were confirmed as not yours, you are now free to use the platform. But we're not going to pay you. That last part was not in the email. That's just my synopsis of the situation. And here's where it gets worse. This guy, Josh's friend, has lost more than he's won at FanDuel. So FanDuel had no problem with him making all of these DFS plays and keeping his money. But when he puts in a lineup that wins $4,000, all of a sudden he's on some fucking list that he has no idea how he got on. What is up with that? How does that happen? And now FanDuel's saying, we apologize, we're following state law. But Pennsylvania's saying, wait a minute, you weren't supposed to be on the list. So we're going to play this out. I'm going to get with Josh. We're going to try and figure this out. I don't know who we have to uh, get this to or whose desk this has to get on, but I want to get some screenshots of this. I want this guy to get paid because this is the worst. This is like there were several times in my past when you dump money into the bookie and you'd pay the bookie and then you'd hit the bookie big and the bookie wouldn't have it. Uh Uh-uh. That don't fly. On the other side of that, if you take the bookie early – and you take the bookie for a couple thousand dollars, and then you go down big, and you go, uh, I don't have it. That ain't going to fly either. This is the same thing, only with a real sports book. (sighs) That's wild. Wild. Last thing, before we get to Eric Eager, Tree Bark Falafel, 9-5 this season with his best bets. It is week 18. Let's bring it home, baby. Hello, this is Tree Bark Falafel. My record this season, 9-5. Let's get the 10th win. This week, take Buffalo Bills, minus 16, against the Patriot Trash Jets. Buffalo Bills want to win division. They will dominate. You will enjoy the free money, courtesy of me. Again, take Buffalo Bills, minus 16, against the Jets. Thank you. There you go. Buffalo Bills to finish potentially 10-5 on Tree Bark Falafel season. Joining us again on Chicken Dinner, he is the co-host of The Forecast now. This is new. We didn't have The Forecast last time we spoke. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. How's The Forecast, and how is it to be a host? Things are good, man. Uh, we, we've, uh, you know, we've been doing podcasts for a long time. Uh, it seems like, uh, you know, as things have grown in the space, like I don't get to talk to George quite as much. So it's always fun to, to record twice a week with one of my best friends and uh, talk, talk gambling. So uh, I'm excited about that. I remember you posted a picture of the first time you had a podcast. Weren't you in an airport, chaotic wires everywhere? I think you missed a flight or something like that. Look how far you've come. It's remarkable how far things have, have, have gone in such a short amount of time. And, and yeah, it's just a big reflection of, uh, you know, sort of where the space is going. Let's talk about some of these award markets, NFL MVP, coach of the year, offensive rookie of the year. 
comeback player of the year. All of these markets have fluctuated wildly over the last two, three, four weeks, including, Eric, a $6 shift on offensive rookie of the year. Mac Jones minus 400 or higher heading into week 17. After week 17, Jamar Chase minus 225. Which market of those four fascinates you the most heading into the final week of the season? Yeah, I think it it does have to be offensive rookie of the year just because it looks like most valuable player Rodgers is minus 400. Uh, and he's not he's probably not playing that much this week, so I don't think it alters that much. There's not a whole lot anybody else can do. Joe Burrow is not playing this week, so uh, you know there's not a whole lot folks can do there with that. Uh, defensive rookie of the year is mostly Micah Parsons na- uh, nailing it down, and you know, defensive player of the year might be interesting as well. But offensive player of the year, um, obviously with the with the sorry the line move that that you're talking about, uh, I, I really think that that's the the interesting one and. Um, you know, a chase probably not playing this week, um, but Mac Jones playing this week, you might still see some, some evolution there. I just can't justify after one week. Like I get that Jamar chase should be favored at this point. And the sports books, they sort of have to circumvent the recency bias. If they were to reopen that market, you know, chase minus minus one thirty, they're going to get fucking slaughtered. They're going to write it up to 70, 75, 80. So, a bookmaker is just going to say, all right, we know you want to bet Chase. We know you're probably going to bet him no matter what. We're just going to make him too expensive now because we don't want to write any more bets at good numbers. That being said, does this sort of give us a morsel of value potentially on Jones? You haven't had plus 180 in three months. I think you do have to cover maybe uh, you know, some of the, the Chase bets if you were betting him at plus money. Um, obviously, you know, it's helpful there. There's also like East coast bias, I think like with some of these awards. So maybe you're, you're, uh, avoiding some of that, you know, surprise there with, with the Patriots quarterback versus the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver. So I do think it, it's probably the only bet you can make right now in that market. And especially if you, if you bet chase when he was down a little bit, uh, it's a, a sort of a perfect hedge. I hadn't even realized this market has gone up even higher. Caesars has Chase at minus 280 now. So they're going to give you Mac Jones if you want it at plus 230. All we shop around. I'm looking at the market now on Jones. The low point is plus 175, but there's plus 190, plus 200, plus 220, plus 230. So all we shop around, obviously. Um, I was looking at your social media yesterday, or was it maybe this morning, on a Thursday morning, you were talking about Matt LaFleur still for coach of the year. That's who you'd roll with. Yeah, I would. I, you know, I think that that, that team has, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, about 10 wins worth on their roster and the obviously getting 13 wins worth, uh, you know, is a pretty big value there. So I, I think that that's, um, you know, where I go. I, I might, I think Mike Grable has obviously done a lot there. Um, but I think some people believe that that's more of a fluky thing than anything. Whereas with the Packers, they're literally what I think 12 and four against the spread. Um, that, that's a pretty impressive, you know, uh, movement there. It's amazing. The numbers you can grab throughout the course of this roller coaster season. I've got a buddy who bets for a living. He now lives in Colorado cause he's got hell 20 outs or so. So he can grab all these different numbers and always get the best number. He's got LaFleur at 15, He's got Taylor at 70, Vrabel at 30, Belichick at 50. He just buys the dips in the future markets, and he's like, look, I make more money doing this 
than I do flipping coins on Sunday, betting sides and totals. It's remarkable. It, yeah, it's remarkable. I think that the only issue with those markets is obviously the hold is a lot bigger. Um, and you tie your money up you know, for too long, though. Like, I, I think that that's uh, sort of the issue. That, that to me is, I think, the only downside of futures is that, you know, oftentimes like week to week betting, if you have an edge, obviously you can turn your money over a lot faster uh, than if you have an edge in the futures market. When you say edges, I'm intrigued. Do you feel like over the course of this season, you've had edges more with sides or totals? I think it's totals just because this year, like totals, you always, you basically have to guess, um, you know, at the beginning of the season as to what this league wide scoring environment would be. Right. So going into the year, we thought it'd be more like 2018. Um, it's actually not even been that high. Um, you know, if you would have guessed it'd be not 2020, for example, like you would have bet a lot of overs and you would have lost a lot of money. Um, and so there's a little bit more art to it. I think a lot of the science and sports betting in, in especially in the liquid markets like the NFL, um, you know, are is fairly well established and you're just sort of trying to squeak out edges by finding, you know, different angles and different uh, features in your model to work with. Last year was, okay, how much is home field advantage going to be? This year it was how much home field advantage is going to be if you were doing sides. But with totals, it was, you know, what's the league-wide scoring environment going to be? And if you guessed right at the beginning of the year – you probably have done well betting totals. I love this whole power rating system. I've been really focusing a lot on power ratings. I talk with multiple odds makers every week, and I never used to do this. I, I love to see all the different perspectives. I, I think you're the same way. You're always trying to learn and look at this from a different side. And for me this season, it was looking at power ratings. And I have power ratings from Kenny White. He sends them to me every week uh, for the NFL season. Here are his top five teams and this is his rating. It's not, you know, anything lockstep. It's just his set of ratings. He's got Kansas City at 110, L.A. Rams 109, Tampa Bay 108, Dallas 107.5, and Buffalo 107. What's your biggest disagreement there? I would like Buffalo maybe a little bit higher. But, um, you know, that to me, I think that's just because Josh Allen has regressed a little bit. Um, you know, due to factors like weather, but also just like the gravity of the situation. Uh, I also think Tampa Bay is maybe, you know, a little bit uh, of a team that's undervalued on the markets, but you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where I sit right now. Um, you know, I think that the, the, some of the teams, for example, that are like, you know, sort of long shots to win the Super Bowl are longer shots to win the Super Bowl than some people believe uh, the teams that aren't winning divisions, I think have a harder road than I think the markets like to give respect to. I was just surprised that Green Bay was outside the top five. Yeah, the issue with Green Bay to me is, are you evaluating them, and Green Bay and Tennessee, are you evaluating them based on, uh, you know, their players that they have going right now or the players uh, that they should have, you know, sort of in place, um, you know, by the time the playoffs happen? Like, I think that those are two different evaluations, and I think a lot of market-based metrics, so metrics that you know, in-predict and stuff like that that go through – uh, you know, betting lines and stuff like that. Like, uh, I think that that's really where, you know, some of those miss is like, you know, a lot of these betting markets have to do with, you know, sort of where, you know, the, the players have gone up until now and in the immediate future. But, you know, you put David Bakhtiari back on the Packers or Tyrell Alexander back on the Packers. I think they're a much better team uh, than what the market's giving them respect for. 
Yeah, that bye week is just such a big deal, especially now that there's only one bye that they've recalibrated the amount of teams in the playoffs. I saw this tweet this morning. Adam Chernoff from Covers uh, said that he sees a lot of similarities between Atlanta in 2016 and Tennessee this season. Uh, Heading into week 17, uh, at that point in time, 2016, Atlanta was 12 to one to win the Super Bowl. Very similar price to what you have Tennessee at right now. And Adam's point is that if you want to bet Tennessee to win the Super Bowl, you should bet it before Week 18, where they're a 10-point favorite currently against Houston. And if they win Week 18, actually lock in that number one seed. You probably won't find 12 to 1 Monday morning, Eric, on Tennessee. I think that's his point. Like, I don't think that he's comparing the two teams from a personnel standpoint because Atlanta's offense was much better statistically. But the fact that they're sort of still at this point, they're unwanted, yet they can lock in the number one seed and you can still hit 12 to 1 right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think that for, mo- for the most part, for a lot of teams that are, that are big underdogs in the playoffs, a money line rollover is better. Sure. Um, but at the same time, for a team like this where you can sort of see the path and the numbers are going to get immediately worse and you don't have opportunities like Tennessee, like for for example, at Tennessee, like it's a pretty, you know, high likelihood that they're going to get a buy. So like the money line rollover sort of bit with them is not going to work very well because obviously you can't bet them in week one of the playoffs if they get a buy. So, yeah, I agree, like, immediately. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not they are going to actually get, um, you know, the first the first round by because we've see, already seen them lose to Houston at home. So, you know, I'll amend Adam's statement. I, I like it. I'll amend it and say if you can find a market after the Saturday games, you know, with the Chiefs 10-point favorites against the Denver Broncos, that might be the place where you can get a slightly better price than right now because – there's oh. still going to be uncertainty baked in as to whether or not they're even the one seed after Saturday's games. That's actually not a bad point because if Kansas City just curb stomps Denver and wins 31-7 to or something like that, you might actually – some books might go, well, that team's pretty good, and kick Tennessee up just a little bit to like 14-1. to yeah, I, I think that that's a, a, not necessarily a lock or anything, and, it, and it's not clear that you're going to get those those numbers offered to you, right? Like that's another part of – you know, the, the issue is once the week started, you're not always given futures uh, opportunities. So that's that's something to think about in, in it as well. Um, but if you do have a book that you know will give a futures opportunity in between games, uh, that might be a place to look. Okay, so maybe 100 bucks on Tennessee, 12 to 1. You don't hate that? I don't hate that at all, no. I'm curious to get your stance on Kansas City. And I know you've been very pro-Kansas City over the last handful of years, and they've been very metrically sexy. Um, I have some seven to one AFC before the Raider game when they were they were a two and a half point road favorite. That's like the worst line of the season, by the way. Um, so I had some seven to one put in. I couldn't pull the trigger on fifteen to one to win the Super Bowl, and now the market obviously a lot lower, five to one on Kansas City. Do you like them to make a deep run? I'm not asking would you bet them to win the Super Bowl, but can they get there? Will they get there? I think they're certainly capable of it. I mean, uh, we only make them 13%, which is, you know, you're, you're going to have, that's, you know, seven to one or so. So you're, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going to, to really like that one as much um, uh, from a betting standpoint, but yeah, I mean, I can win it. I mean, the, the thing is, is like a, the two seed, everybody's like poo-pooing the fact that they probably won't have a buy, 
but the two seed means you're playing in the second round of the playoffs at home. Um, and if somebody were to upset Tennessee in the first round of the playoffs, which I think a lot of people are finding plausible, then you get to host the AFC title game for what would be the fourth straight year. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there's obvious concerns. One of them being like, there are three division winners in the AFC besides the chiefs, the Bengals, the Titans and the bills and the chiefs have lost to all of them this year. Um, and, you know, they've also lost the Chargers and the Ravens, which could be both both teams are still alive for the playoffs. So that's their five losses against AFC teams that are pretty good. Um, but if you look at back at the time they won the Super Bowl in 2019, uh, they lost to Houston, who they eventually avenged in the playoffs. They lost to Tennessee, who they eventually avenged in the playoffs. So it, it's not out of the ordinary for them to struggle in the regular season against certain teams and then beat them in the playoffs. I don't think that they're bettable. I think that they're overrated on the market, but I, I do think that they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender for sure. That's a team you definitely make more money rolling over because they'll likely have that extra game, that third game without the bye. Um, two more quick things. Have you made any positions in week 18? Uh, yeah, I have. I, I have a small one on the 49ers plus five and a half. Now it's four and a half. Uh, I have made one on Seattle Seahawks plus six and a half and what could be Russell Wilson's final game. And then here's one. Um, and this is one that you had to have followed along with, I think, for it to make sense. Although I still think this is a value. I have some Pittsburgh under eight and a half wins this year, um, <laughs> you know, early on. And I think a lot of people who a lot of people bet that as well. And you're getting sort of a gift this week. The Ravens, from all from all indications, look like they're starting Tyler Hundley at quarterback. They're extremely depleted. Uh, five straight losses. Uh, a loss last week where I know that they played well, but, you know, still couldn't get it done. Might be a little bit over, you know, a team that a franchise that is very smart and might not necessarily see a win as valuable, although they're still alive and they're playing at one o'clock. So, the, you know, they're probably going to play through, but you're getting the Steelers plus five and a half this week. And I think if you have some Steelers under eight and a half, uh, a really good hedge is some Steelers plus five and a half in this game. And if they lose by three, then you win both. Uh, and I, so that's a position I've, I've made. Uh, I did have a money line parlay last week where we parlayed Green Bay, Arizona money line, and then we parlayed Detroit plus 10 and a half. Now that Green Bay, you know, that might be foiled by the fact that Green Bay is going to start their starters this week, but right now you can get Detroit plus four. I, I like the value on that a lot. So those are the positions I have this weekend. I thought for sure you were going to say Pittsburgh two to one to win the game. Uh, so. That's obviously there's some value there, but uh, you know the middle is obviously negative there, right? There's no middle there. Um, the five and a half gives you a lot. Like obviously, a loss by one, two, three, or four, or five, it would be would be obviously amazing in, in that scenario. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you had. I figured if you went under eight and a half on Pittsburgh, you had plus money. So I was thinking you could go plus money, plus money, um, which you'd be proud of me, by the way. I've got Alabama plus two fifty. And Georgia plus 145. Buddy, I'm going to light a cigar and just watch it hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that sounds great, obviously. Yeah, the Georgia bet was was wonderful. They were what really good numbers at the beginning of the year. And by the end of September, they, you could tell that they were a house. And so that that's obviously a great bet to have. I only made it after they lost to Alabama. I wasn't smart enough. I wish I would have had it earlier in the season. But, hey, man, plus money and plus money. Can't lose. Mm-hmm. That's Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, great analyst over there at PFF, at PFF underscore Eric, and check him out, the co-host of The Forecast. Enjoy the postseason, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Sam, thanks for having me on. This is fun.
That about does it for Chicken Dinner. Thanks to Eric Eager for hopping on the show. I agree with him. Tennessee, not a bad pop, although I like him more to win the conference than I do to win the Super Bowl for the reasons that we outlined earlier in the show. Record check, 213, 208, and 7. We're up 6.2 units. Did take that Florida money line on the chin at minus 120. And we've got four pending, at least in the near future. Eagles plus 6.5. Just popped in the Titans plus 500 to win the AFC. And then the free roll of all free rolls. National championship, Georgia plus 145, Bama plus 250. Let's go. Cash up tickets to make some money. We'll talk to you next week right here on Chicken Dinner.